what is my fight in the war? That's kind of the question that we're going to be centering around today as we dig into God's word, is this idea of what is my fight, my personal fight in the big, huge war? There's been lots of wars throughout history. I'm not necessarily talking about all of those moments where people on two different sides of an issue or two different countries or whatever pick up weapons to fight each other. That's not the type of war I'm talking about. I'm talking more like a metaphorical war. There's, lots been, there's been lots of causes, lots of initiatives, lots of missions, lots of problems in our world that have been massive things that we have all joined forces and joined on linked arms to fight together. Um, wars like when the plague broke out in the Roman Empire. That was a massive war with care for the hurting and the contagious a massive need, a crisis that necessitated every individual to ask that question. What's my fight in the big war? We all had to come back to that. What's my role? What am I going to do? How am I going to contribute? World War II was a massive war. In and of itself, it actually was a war. America fighting on two different fronts. Hitler and his allies in Europe and the Japanese in Southeast Asia. And that was a massive war. But it took everyone, not just those that picked up arms and fought in the armies. It took the citizens of America and all kinds of people working in factories and building machines and ammunition and, and food and, and going on rations. And so everyone was in the nation was faced that question. What's my role? What's my fight in the big war? What am I, how am I going to contribute? What can I sacrifice? How can I make a difference? The fight against apartheid in the 90s in South Africa where the whole world kind of joined in this movement and this cause and this call to, um, to basically get rid of the legal separa- separation and, and, and segregation that was happening and, and to free the freedom fighters that were in prison, including Nelson Mandela. And it was this massive movement for people calling everyone, and they, everyone was addressed that question in that, in that time. What's my fight in the war? What's, what am I going to do? How am I going to use my voice? What's my responsibility? What must I say? See, in the midst of every war, each of us are faced with our own fight. What are you going to do? Not what are they going to do, what did they do, or what should they do, but no, me. What am I going to do? What are you, you as an individual, what is your role? What are you going to do? What is my fight? We all have to ask that question. What is my fight in the war? When it comes to the human tra- trafficking epidemic in our, in our world today. What's my fight in the war? When it comes to the 6,700 unreached people groups in the world that are all less than 2% Christian, what's my fight in the war? How am I bringing them the good news, the gospel? When it comes to homelessness, orphans and widows that are living in poverty, what is my fight in the world? What's my role? I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with these larger than life wars in our society, in our world, in my life, I feel my fight, I feel very overwhelmed, very ordinary. I mean, I'm not special. I don't need to tell you that. Like, there's nothing special about me. I'm not like rich or powerful or all-knowing or almighty. I mean, I live in Joplin, Missouri. I'm just barely scraping by, let alone thriving in this world. How can my fight make a difference? I think it was the same tension that the people of God were feeling as we come to our text today, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to turn there, it's kind of towards the front of your Bible. Um, you can either turn there on your phone or in your Bible. Deuteronomy 6. And I think they were feeling the same kind of pressure and this stress and this tension 
Because here they are, coming to the promised land, getting ready to take over the promised land, and Moses is basically staying up in the book of Deuteronomy. It's him just preaching a big, long sermon to them at the, right before they go take the promised land. He's like, let me tell you some things. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. You see, the nation of Israel, they had a massive war that God had called them to. A massive cause, a mission, like Josh Beck talked about earlier, that the, the God has a mission for his people. And it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, where God created this deal, this covenant with this guy named Abraham and his family. He said to Abraham, listen, here's, my, here's this thing I'm calling you to. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I'm going to give you the promised land, this land that you're going to dwell in. It's going to be yours. And the last one was this. And here's the war right here. You ready? Here's the big cause, the big picture. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. All nations. You see, that was the war he called them to. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah had asked, what's our fight in this war? And what happened was in every different season in the life of the nation of Israel, God's people, there are these battles that came along the way. These battles that got them closer and closer to the war. The first battle was this. If we're going to bless all nations through us, we've got to have some kids. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. They were barren. So the Lord stepped in, and the miraculously, they were able to have a child who had another child, who had 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, and they started having descendants. They could count them, but what happened next was pretty fascinating. There's a famine in the land. They go down to Egypt, as people do, to find shelter and find food and, and nourishment, and then a king raised up who did not know about the nation of Israel and their role in helping provide the food for everyone, for all the nations around them. And he put them into slavery and it was in the midst of this time in slavery for 400 years that Abraham and his descendants, his kids, started just reproducing like crazy. Okay. And they became more numerous to count, so much so that the Egyptians were scared to death of them. And here, this is the battle that they fought. Those 400 years, are we going to trust the war that we're going to be a blessing to all nations, even when we're slaves in Egypt? Are we going to fight the fight God has given us to be faithful in the midst of slavery? And they raised up a guy named Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. He didn't sing it. If you thought he did, he didn't say, let my people go. I mean, he, he might have, but I'm not going to sing it. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And they did that back and forth again, 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 until finally Pharaoh let their people go after these plagues. And Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And his job was to take them through the Red Sea to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, here they were coming into the promised land to drive out the people in front of them. This was the battle that they had to fight. It wasn't the war. They knew their war was being a blessing to all the nations through them. But right now, God had promised them, the next thing you got to do, yeah, you have to send as numerous as stars in the sky. That's great. You've already won that battle. But what's the battle in front of you today? And as Moses was standing with his nation, all these descendants of Abraham's getting ready to take the promised land, the battle in front of them was to drive out the Canaanites and to take over the land. That was their fight, that they had to fight in the war. And here, Deuteronomy 6, Moses is, preach, is, is preaching the sermon to the people and he said, hey, listen, we got the war. We still got to pursue. We got to be a light to the nations. And we got to bless the nations through us. God's going to use us to bless all the nations. But he says, when we accomplish this battle, we're getting ready to take over. We're getting ready to take the promised land. When we're done with that, what next? That's Deuteronomy 6. He says, what happens when your kids ask you? Okay, we understand all of the other things that came before, but what's our role now? What's our fight in the war? Look at what he says, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, 
What's the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? He says, when your son asks you, why do we obey these laws Moses gave us? He, he, says, he basically is saying this, when your son asks you, what's our fight in the war? That's what they're asking. What's, I mean, we understand driving out the Canaanites. We understand being rescued from slavery in Egypt. We understand multiplying and having a bunch of kids, but obeying the laws, that's our battle? We drew the short end of the stick. Like that's what you're calling us to is obey all these stipulations and laws that the Lord has given us in the promised land. It reminds me of Abraham Lincoln growing up. You see, we think of Abraham Lincoln, we think of honest Abe and we think of Abraham Lincoln leading the nation through the Civil War and, and, and winning the Civil War and emancipating the slaves and, and the Gettysburg Address. We imagine, and we think of all the big things of Lincoln's life. But we don't remember, we don't think about how when he grew up and, and his early political career, he lost a lot of political races. Ran for the state senate and house and that kind of stuff. And he lost, like a lot, okay? And he grew up in this depression, Abraham Lincoln did, where he thought all the great battles of the past, the most important battles to make America the nation that it needs to be, were fought by the founding fathers. Like he had aspirations for greatness. And I can't help but think some of the Jews coming to the promised land that, that Moses is basically you know, imagining, yeah, they're going to think all the great battles of the past were already won. Abraham Lincoln did. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to fix roads and infrastructure and tweak laws? I don't really have a role to play in, in making this nation great. Little did he know. You see, Moses is seeing this is coming. This major last, this major battle of driving out the people out of the promised land, taking over the promised land, he knows that the linchpin of all of this, the descendants of numerous stars in the sky, taking the promised land, the linchpin of the war is what happens with these adults' kids. What's going to happen after they accomplish that? That's what he says to them. This is so key, verses 21 to 23. He says, tell your son this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Moses tells these adults, he say, okay, when your kids ask you, what's our fight in the war? Give them a history lesson. Like, look back. And remember how God has moved and how he's been faithful again and again and again. He instructs them to remember their history. That where they are at today is because each generation of God's people said yes to their fight, said yes to their battle. It's hundreds of thousands of Jews saying yes to the battle of worshiping God for 430 years while slavery in Egypt, while being slaves in Egypt. It's hundreds of thousands of Jews saying yes to fight the battle of following Moses through the Red Sea to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It's hundreds of thousands of Jews saying yes to fight the battle, to go into the promised land to fight nations and to take over and conquer cities that are way bigger and stronger, mightier than they are. See, each had to answer that question, each Jew, each individual person following Jesus. What's my fight in the war? And am I gonna fight the battle that the Lord puts in front of me? He points to the battles that were fought behind them. I said, okay, adults, when your kids ask you this, point backwards. Help them remember that all of us, every generation, has had to say yes to our fight. Then he points to the battle in front of them. Look at this in verses 24 and 25. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees 
and to fear the Lord our God so that we will always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. He's saying, this is what you tell them. Remind them to look back that every person of God's had to ask, well, I fight the battle that God put in front of me to advance the war. He's saying, listen, you must obey the laws and commands because the way we bless the nations is by being different than them. It's by being a light in the darkness. It's that we are a chosen people, he calls us, a royal priesthood, God said, a holy nation, a nation set apart, different from all the other nations around them. He said, that's the calling, is that when you come into the promised land, you don't look like everybody else. That won't be a blessing to everybody else. They need good news. They need light. They need guidance. They need something to show them that the world they're living in, man, it's messed up, it's jacked up, but this is the way that I created and I have guided and I've given you a pathway to life to the full. Because it's vital to, to you to see that your obedience to the law is not just to do things to make Jesus happy. But it's to be a light to everyone around you of, man, there's a better way to live life here on this earth. That's the battle in front of you. It reminds me of a, of a training that we went through uh, last year as a ministerial staff. Um, we brought a consulting group in and they walked us through um, just this exercise. And they said, listen, you have five-year goals that you want to pursue these next five years to eliminate your debt to have 60 adult groups reproduce, to plant three churches, and to, to reach 600 college students with the good news and, and get them connected to the church, and then, and then to pursue hospitality for every person of every ethnic background in our community. Like, those are your goals. And so that's this kind of mountain peak over here. And so what happens is we typically live in a valley, in this kind of ditch here. We look up at these goals and we're like, I don't know, how are we gonna pursue that? That's big, that's a massive battle. Like, what is that? That's a massive vision. That's a massive goal. How are we going to make disciples of Jesus who change the world? To change the world? Really? And we live here in this kind of ditch. And I said, what you need to do is not keep looking up here. So what you got to do is you got to kind of crawl out of the ditch and crawl up to this mountain peak um, before and get kind of a 10,000 foot view of the world, uh, of your world around you and look back. We talked about this a couple of years ago. In order to advance, you've got to remember. And the only reason you remember is to advance. You get up here and you look back and you remember God's faithfulness and how he's moved again and again and again and how people who have gone before us, we stand on the shoulders of giants. That's why we are where we are at today. And we get perspective and then we look ahead and we say, okay, looking back, man, that's what every generation did before us. Looking ahead, that's where we gotta go. And then you say, what's the next battle we gotta fight in order to win the war? Man, if you're not even a Christian, if you don't know who Jesus is or you're not sure about this church thing, do this for your life. Like every so often, maybe once... Four times a year, once a quarter. Just take a day, just with a journal, a piece of paper, crawl up on the mountain and say, okay, how did I end up where I'm at? And write those things down. And then say, where do I want to be in five years? What does that picture look like? And write that down. And then ask this question, what's the next battle, the next battle I got to fight in order to get me closer to that mountain peak? And that's what we did as a leadership, as, a, as, a, as a elders and ministerial staff. We did this exercise. We climbed out of the valley and we got up on the mountain. And we looked back and we remembered, man, oh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And every generation leading up to where we're at today at College Heights said yes to fight their battle before them. Thinking about this, all the things that happened where we're at today, a church deciding to relocate to reach college students. 
nine building projects over 52 years to build a facility that could minister to thousands of people week after week, raising up and sending out pastors, elders, missionaries, and church planners all around our country and world, starting non-for-profit organizations to make an impact in our community, in our region, in our world. Organizations like God's Resort and Lifehouse and, and College Heights Christian School, to name just a few. We look back and we remember how God has moved. We look back and then we look at, and we look back and remember the people who said yes to the individual fights that they gave them. I mean, every single person, those are these big battles, this school and, and, and God's resort and, and these ministries that we achieve and discipling kids and raising people. Those are big battles, but every single one of them were only achieved because individuals fought the fight that God gave them to fight in front of them. We stand on the shoulders of those people, people like B.A. Austin and Paul Marins and Lois Pickering, people like Ernie Greenwood, Randy and Julie Garris, Jane Jennings, Jay and Julie St. Clair, Rick Bushnell. As we look back, we realize that each of these names, and I can name so many more people, I'm leaving so many people out. But when we look back, we, we remember that every single one of these people fought the fight God gave them. They addressed the battle that was in front of them today and they advanced the war of making disciples of Jesus who change the world. No matter how small, how hard, how troubling, how insignificant it may have felt, they said yes to their fights, to their battles. It's kind of like um, what Moses is doing here. It's kind of like driving a car. I remember getting my very first car. It was a 1989 Pontiac 6000 LE. You got it in your head. You can see it, right? Had rust all on the front and the back. It was passed down from my great-grandma to my sister to me. And my sister ran into the back of someone. And it was such a junker. My dad's like, yeah, we're not fixing that grill. And so you could see inside the engine from, you know, the outside. I could see into the car. It was, it was a beautiful piece of work. It was wonderful. Um, but uh, my, 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 my car, my very first car, had a, a, a really important thing missing. It had no rearview mirror. Thanks, Dad. Nah, it'll be fine. Just look over your shoulder. Okay. Like, that's important. That's, that's there for safety, right? When you drive a car, you need rearview mirrors. Because why do you need rearview mirrors? You need to see what's behind you. Like, it's important to see what's behind you when you're moving forward. And when you're driving a car, you have three, three rearview mirrors. And really what the rearview mirrors do is they, they help you glance at the past. They help you glance at what's behind you for safety. But the windshield... It helps you focus on what's ahead for direction. And that's what Moses is doing. He said, no, 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 you, you can't, you don't have huge rear view mirrors and a really small windshield to see ahead. That's, that's not how you drive a car either. Like th- those are small because you really just need to glance at those. You glance at the past for safety, but you focus on what's ahead for direction. And that's what Moses is doing. He's saying, let's glance back, we recognize where we've come from, but let's focus on the next battle that God is giving us to fight. And that's where the spark initiative came from. We truly believe that getting out of debt, planting churches, funding one less gift, our annual compassion campaign, and some facility renovations are all the spark that we need to ignite us to today towards our vision for tomorrow. I think that's what Jesus did so well. You know, Jesus, I think about Luke 4, the, the inaugural address Jesus gave in Nazareth. And he said, man, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. He's basically saying, we're bringing about heaven on earth. 
Like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this massive, huge war that Jesus said, man, we're going to go and step across every square inch of this globe, and we're going to right all the wrongs of society. We're going to make everything new again. It's a war that reconciles racists and activists, oppressors and oppressed, perpetrators and victims. It's a war that's able to accept you as you are, yet to also transform you from the broken you that you are to the restored and healthy you that you were created to be. It's a war that's a larger-than-life vision of raising up and sending out workers for every harvest field that the knowledge of the Lord will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a crazy big war. Yeah, what did he call his disciples to do? Here, let me show you how you fight. What your fight is in the war. Matthew 4, 19, come follow me. I will make you, I will change you, I will transform you to be fishers of men. That's his invitation to all of us. He says this, be a disciple. A disciple, this is what we do as a church. We make disciples of Jesus who change the world. And a disciple is these three things. A disciple follows Jesus. They are being changed by Jesus. And they are on mission with Jesus. Say that with me. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. That's right. That's your fight. That's the fight that God's calling you to fight. In this battle that's in front of you today, Follow Jesus, be changed by him, and get on mission with him. And man, it takes that massive war and it really breaks it down in a way that says, that's my role. Like, that's what I do. Your job in the war is this, to fight the battle in front of you, not the one behind you. See, so often that's what we end up doing. The pain of our past, the problems, the mistakes that we made. We spend all of our energy today trying to continue to fight those battles. And this is what, this is the good news of the gospel. The only way you can fight the battle in front of you is because Jesus' death and his resurrection, he has given you victory over all of the battles behind you. He has, whatever it is, your mistakes, your failures, your hurts, your habits, your hangups, they're all done at the cross of Jesus. They're all defeated. They're all washed away by Jesus' death and his resurrection is the guarantee that he can transform you from your old ways of life that got you into these messes into the new life that he has in store for you. And it isn't only that he gives you victory over all the battles and all the mistakes and all the way you fell short in the battles behind you, but Jesus promises you, hey, in the next battle in front of you, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm not gonna forsake you, but I'll be right there in the midst of that battle with you guiding you, directing you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's why the invitation is come follow me. I'm gonna lead you through the battle. I'm gonna guide you through the battle. I'm gonna have you be on mission with me and I with you. Man, I don't know. If you're not a Christian today, you don't know who Jesus is. This is, no matter what battle is in front of you today, Jesus promises that he wants to, he wants to join you in that battle. He wants to guide you through that battle. That's why his invitation is, hey, come follow me. Let me lead you. Let me direct you. Not only let me save you from the battles of your past and your sins, but let me help you have victory in the next battle of your life. Maybe you don't know what it's like to have Jesus as Lord and Savior and as a guide for you in the midst of your next battle. I'd love to talk to you about that. We're gonna have a song at the end of our service. I'll meet you right over here underneath our lightning bolt. That's our sign, our symbol for prayer. I'd love to pray with you. There's power in prayer. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you about who Jesus is. Let's fight that battle today if that's that battle. That's the step that Lord is calling you to take. As for those of us who are Christ followers, who are committed to College Heights Christian Church, the battle that we as a church are fighting, 
are pursuing right now is completing our two-year generosity initiative called Spark. Yeah, $9 million, it's a big battle. Like having 100% engagement, it's a big battle. But the battle I believe God is calling us to in this moment, because remember, we're halfway in. And as we talked about last week, halfway in, things get twice as hard. And it's just good for us as a church to say, okay, what does it look like halfway in? To kind of check our, our, our dashboard of our life, our spiritual and physical health and financial health and say, hey, how are we doing? How's, this, how's the enemy trying to derail us? How is he tempting us? How is he trying to discourage us in the midst of all of this? It's been really helpful for Monica and I as we've been reassessing things. And that's the goal is, is the next battle, this next year that God is calling us to because halfway in things get twice as hard. So what does it look like when we know things are getting more and more difficult? Well, the, the, the challenge is for all of us to grow in our generosity this next year. And that can be in a lot of different ways that we grow in our generosity. Take a look at this one person named Jessie, how she grew in her generosity this last year of Spark. I'm Jesse First, and I've been going to College Heights for six years. I decided to participate in the Spark Initiative because I felt pretty convicted that I hadn't been tithing before, and I just remember feeling pretty deeply that I wasn't tithing, but that I should be. He was challenging me to give my money in order to to see that he could still provide for me. I think I held on a lot to my money in college because I was afraid of um, not being able to provide financially for myself and I didn't want to let go to really anybody. I wanted to be in control of it. And so I think he was challenging me to let go. Before Spark, I could give $20 here, $20 there, whenever I felt like I could. Um, but then after Spark, I decided to tithe 11% of my income. He's been faithful in still helping me be financially sound, so I still am able to pay off some student loans I have. I still am able to save some money every month, and I had to get a new car so I can still make a car payment. Um, it just took me dedicating a portion of my money um, to the church. So I used to interact with money, like what you said, holding onto it really tightly, wanting to be in control of it because of the fear that I wouldn't be able to pay for what I needed to. Through Spark, it's really challenged me that that I am not in control of my money at all. It's not my money. But that I don't have to hold on to it so tightly because Jesus does provide for us. The first time the money was pulled out, I think I thought, oh, I could be using that to pay off student loans <laughs> or to be saving for something else that I might need in the future. So it was a little bit terrifying, but after the first couple of times, it now it's just normal. Tithing's actually become fun, and so I don't know if that's weird to say, but it's been fun to see like, okay, I'm investing in, in Spark and helping the church in some way. Like, it's been a good feeling to have, to be involved and to know I'm contributing. I don't feel like I've missed out on life. No, I feel more connected to the church, for sure. I was praying over um, the seats this morning, over you all, and I was really just wrecked by the impossible task it is to come into a room with hundreds of people in that room and to speak a word to every single one of you, or every single one of you are in so many different places. You don't even maybe even know what place you're in. Um, but the good news is, and as I was praying, I got more and more confidence 
As I, every week, it's always like, man, I, this is impossible. I can't do this. But then I always remember, and this is a Lord's work. The Lord wants to speak a message to all of you today. The Holy Spirit knows where every single one of you are and knows exactly what you need to hear and knows exactly the fight that you are fighting today. He knows the battle that's in front of you and the battles that he's given you victory that are behind you. And I don't know what battle is in front of you. And, it, and maybe this could apply in so many different ways. And I just want to give you permission to allow it to. Like what battle is in front of you? Maybe it's just coming talking to me about Jesus for the very first time. Maybe it's praying with someone you came with. Maybe it's, you know, you just need healing. You just need to, to take some time and rest. Maybe you need to take a step and, and follow Jesus or get on mission with him. Maybe it is that you need to take a step and grow in your generosity today. I want to talk to you through kind of how we're doing that with our Spark Initiative. Um, there are really three commitments that you can make today that we're going to have. We have two tables up front that you can make a commitment in these boxes and th- on the tables, and there's three tables in the back. Um, and we left cards all around the room with pens, and so take this, and you can make the first commitment. Maybe the first commitment you need to make is, I intend to fulfill my, my original commitment to Spark that I made last year. I'll tell you, for Monica and I, that's been, that's the commitment we're making. We've had a really hard financial year. Wait, we didn't expect it. We made a goal that was a stretch goal, and it's even more of a stretch goal now than it was a year ago. And yet, for me, I'm a great starter and I'm a horrible finisher. And so it's good in this season, maybe, that you should just say, you know what, I'm gonna make a recommitment. Just like, yeah, you know, God, I'm gonna trust that that number I put down last year, that that's gonna come about, and I'm gonna trust you. And, so that, and maybe that's growth for you. I remember when um, a, a mentor of mine said, Sai, you must finish every book that you start reading because you don't finish anything. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, I stink. Um, maybe that's the commitment you need to make. That's, that's your growth, is you made a commitment, I commit to finishing it. That's the commitment. Maybe the second commitment's this. I wanna increase my initial commitment to Spark. Maybe for you, you wanna grow in your generosity this year, that's a battle that's God putting in front of you because uh, maybe last year you started giving consistently, but now God's calling you to give a tithe, 10%, or maybe you just started, you, just started, you gave for the very first time. And you kind of give sporadically. Maybe God's calling you to start giving consistently to the church, a consistent part of your week after week life. And then the last commitment is this. I want to make a one-year commitment to Spark. Maybe you weren't here last year. We've had 400 guests since Easter. There's a lot of new people here. Maybe you don't know what this is, and you're like, oh, it's good to hear this thing. I saw some booth and stuff, but now I know what this Spark thing is. Maybe God's calling you to take a step and say, you know what? I'm going to get in. I'm excited about what God is doing at College Heights, and I want to make a commitment to that over the next year. If you want to check that box, there's a way to make a commitment on the inside of this commitment card. What you do is you fill out the first box, what you normally give to the church, including what you give to our like, One Less Gift initiative to show compassion to people in our community and around the world. Then you put the second box is what you, how you're gonna increase that giving. Maybe that's like you're gonna get, we gave up internet. That was the thing we gave up in order to increase our giving. And then you add those two together, that's that number. And then you say, what's my gift from stored resources? Monica and I, we did a garage sale this last year. And all the profits from the proceeds from the garage sale, we went to Spark. That's kind of, it wasn't in my regular paycheck. It was kind of above and beyond. That was part of that box there. Add all that together. We also didn't renovate our basement. That's something we were going to do. We had savings, and we decided to give that money to Spark instead. And so we add all those numbers together, and that gets your one-year total. Put your name and number on that, and then you can, or your name and your information on that. You can put it on one of these stations. During the next um, three minutes, we're going to give you time to fill this card out. Okay, just some quietness. Pray with your family, with your, your husband, your wife. Maybe it's a small group you want to pray with. Fill this card out, and then when the band comes back on stage, 
Um, they will lead us into how, they'll cue us in how to make our commitments. And if you want to talk to me about Jesus, I'll be right over here during that last song, okay? Go ahead and pray, and let's fill out these cards and make some commitments today.